Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Ben Howard and producer Bullion to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album, Is It? Ben Howard is a British singer-songwriter from Devon. Growing up in a musical family, Ben spent his early years immersed in the music of artists including Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, and John Martin, and by the age of 11, he'd begun to write songs of his own. While exploring different genres throughout his teenage years, his journey as an artist began during his time studying journalism at Falmouth University. Immersed in the vibrant local music scene, he quickly became known for his captivating blend of melodic rootsy folk and progressive lyrics, and after the release of several EPs, in 2011 he signed to Island Records for his debut album Every Kingdom with producer Chris Bond. A critical and commercial success, the album catapulted Ben into the global spotlight with the hit tracks Only Love, Keep Your Head Up and The Wolves showcasing his unique blend of folk and indie rock. Certifying double platinum, the record saw Ben nominated for two Brit Awards, including British Breakthrough and Best Solo Male, as well as a nomination for the 2012 Mercury Prize. Continuing to build on his early success, his subsequent albums saw him push the boundaries of his signature sound, often delving into more experimental territories and incorporating elements of electronic and ambient sounds. 2014's I Forget Where We Were and 2021's Collections from the Whiteout both reached number one on the UK album charts. His latest album, Is It?, released in June 2023 with producer Bullion, sees him delve further into the world of electronics and sampling with a spirit of experimentation and collaboration at its core. Nathan Jenkins, also known as Bullion, is a producer and songwriter from West London. Initially writing and producing beats from his bedroom, Nathan's break came in 2007 when he released the album Pet Sounds in the Key of D online. A tribute to the producer and rapper Jay Diller and the Beach Boys Pet Sounds record, the Quasi Mashup album was picked up by notable blogs, including Gorilla vs. Bear, and earned him attention from the likes of Giles Peterson and Marianne Hobbs. Remix opportunities for artists including Amadou and Miriam, Jack Peniati and King Creosote followed, and having gained significant label interest, Nathan released his debut EP, Get Familiar, in 2008 on One-Handed Music. Now a well-established figure within the world of electronic music, his career as Bullion has seen him make numerous high-profile releases on labels including Young, The Trilogy Tapes and Jag Jaguar. On his own Deep Recordings label, in 2016 he released the album Loop the Loop, featuring artists such as Sampha, Shabaka Hutchings and Laura Groves. Alongside his solo work, Nathan has also forged a reputation producing the work of others, shaping records from artists including Westerman, Carly Rae Jepsen and most recently Ben Howard. Today, I joined Ben and Nathan at Strongroom Studios in Shoreditch, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Couldn't Make It Up. Love is at the final sound, strangeness 
It is Ben Howard with Couldn't Make It Up from the album Is It? And I'm very pleased to say that we've come to the Strong Room Studios and sat in front of me are Ben Howard. Hello, Ben. Hi. And Nathan Jenkins, otherwise known as Bullion. Hi. But we're going to go Nathan uh, for this session. And it's great to have you both here. Um, it's really exciting to explore the new record, Is It? The fifth Ben Howard album. Yeah, number um, five. Which yeah. is, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're getting on now. It's <laughs> uh, getting deep into the catalogue, which is exciting. And you had put out collections from the Whiteout just a, a couple of years ago. So, And there had been quite a gap between albums before that. Mm. So, you know, this regrouping, you're on a new creative role. And this time, instead of Aaron Destiny, you've got Nathan with you. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, I mean, in terms of my track record, a kind of prolific patch. But, um, yeah, I mean, we we were actually talking before this of how, how quick the process of this record came together. And, you know, how how we met, you know, was a very sort of brief encounter, really. We went and had a coffee with each other and then, you know, almost a month later we were in the studio working. Wow, that's kind of amazing. So, so this is kind of spring last year, is it? Yeah, it's around, probably around this time last yeah. year yeah. yeah 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 and then a few weeks later we were in france yeah and i i guess i was kind of quite um quite hot-headed about it. i was like yeah we could we i think there was a little patch where we had this studio on hold and i was like well what do you fancy you know making a record you know we recorded down in france and um yeah it kind of snowballed quite quickly didn't it that's um, great but you hadn't actually met before then apart from this coffee no that's, no, was, that's quite a big leap. I was quite surprised, yeah. It was very quick and, yeah, we hadn't even done a session or no. anything together. It was, no. We kind of um, found some common ground quite quickly with things we were listening to at the time and just talked through how it might work and then got the invite out to France. And it was, yeah, it's quite a fun way to do it. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Yeah. So the studio in France is Le Manoir de Lille? Yeah, is yeah, right? Le Manoir, yeah. yeah. And it's somewhere between... Um, Kind of Biarritz and uh, yeah, it's down the south so kind of west, south yeah. of France. So and it's interesting because it, with regard to you, Ben Howard, mm. um, I associate the south of France with you partly because you've kind of placed some of your songs or, or written yeah, it's, songs it's inspired it's by being on spent, beaches. There. Yeah, spent quite a bit of time down there. I mean, that studio in particular is where we we kind of attempted um, most of Noonday Dream was started at that studio, and we kind of we did like a three week stint there, and then ended up you know, recording a lot of it elsewhere. So we'd, we'd kind of been in that zone fairly regularly and we'd rehearse there a bit. So it was really, you know, it was nice to have, go to a, a studio and have that familiarity. And I think, uh, you know, it's more of a leap of faith for Nathan because we're like, oh, we're going down to the studio that we've all been to before. Um, do you want to come in? It's a, you know, residential studio. We're sort of, we'll be locked in for the next couple of weeks or whatever. Yeah. And so you took the whole band there or was it just the two of you? Yeah. Um, Mickey came down and uh, uh, Rich Thomas as well. Yeah, it was uh, four of us, wasn't it? And then yeah. Tebow, the engineer down there. Yeah. And after that coffee, after that conversation, and you thought you were on the same page, when you went to France, did you have songs all ready to go then? Yeah, I had, I had a batch. I think I was going to the studio with nearly nearly everything i need but not everything i need you know so I, I like to go in feeling slightly uncomfortable in a strange way like uh slightly unfinished you know leaving the door open for you know other songs and to finish songs but i, th I think this record more than ever i had quite a strong batch of songs i mean the, the songs we put down in france were the ones that stayed through all the other you know we did a couple of other sessions and those became the 
you know, the 10 songs really didn't, I don't think we added any, did we? It was like, I don't think so. Yeah. That's what we've got. We'll finish mm. these and call it a record. Right. So, yeah. But Couldn't Make It Up, which is the first single from the album, um, from reading the press release, I don't know how true this is, but the mm. story I, I have is that, you know, that was written fairly oh. close to, to recording, you know, because it's kind of based on something yeah. that happened to you only a month before you were going to go and record. Yeah, yeah. So that one, I think, you know, when I say leaving the door open for things, it's often like uh, you're leaving a kind of lyrical ambiguity or something. You know, I, I had the I had the guitar parts for that song for quite a while, and fairly a kind of rough melodic structure to it as well. Um, but yeah, had uh, had two mini strokes, had two TIAs in April, and then then in May, and so that certainly with that song, that kind of became the the writing blocks to that and you know it kind of influenced a lot of the other songs and you know that door half a jar kind of the writing kind of seeped into that but it definitely came to the studio even you know before those incidents I had a lot of the songs in place and yeah. it kind of seemed like the the 10 songs we chose to go into the record you know obviously I went into the studio with a lot more songs than that but the 10 we chose kind of felt like a a real umbrella of that chapter and that kind of everything that was going on in my life at the time, yeah. Yeah, and and do you think those health scares kind of prompted you to, you know, take the bull by the horns and think, right, well, let's just get on with it. I, I like this guy, Nathan. I'm going to take him to France. We're going to just do it. Yeah, I, th I think inevitably, yeah. I mm. definitely didn't feel, um, didn't feel a sense of apprehension. It was just more like, I, I think every time I go into a record, I've kind of, you know, I've talked to other songwriters as well, and, you know, it's a shared kind of fear of death before you get any of your creative ideas out and so it's quite funny you know in that sense of like that's what kind of almost spurs you on to get into the studio and put stuff down so yeah there was an urgency definitely <laughs> a sense, for, <laughs> sense yeah. of urgency of like let's make a record but yeah i, mean, I think it, you know it felt like the right decision at the right time yeah yeah it's exciting mm. I, I always love it when artists are on a roll and they're going through a, a kind of prolific patch because they're firing on all cylinders they've got some thing to say and and they're excited by their ideas you know mm. and it and it's difficult isn't it especially when you've been doing something for a while that yeah. you know to keep having ideas and to keep having things that get you interested in in what you're doing is tricky or it can prove to be tricky yeah to sort of you know sit through the dull spells and mm. um wait them out and then I, I think probably the the other thing is how frustrating you are when you are full of ideas and your head in the clouds and a head full of steam and everyone around you has to put up with you going, let's do this and let's go in. You know, we should do this. And yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, maybe we'll be hearing about this um, as we discuss these yeah, tracks. Yeah. So the first song we're going to look at is Walking Backwards. So mm -hmm. we're going to hear a bit of The Master now and then we'll start finding out all about it. Don't, I don't mind 
A little taste of walking backwards from the album, Is It? Nathan and Ben, how did this start then? Well, yeah, we sort of, I guess the first day we got to France, we kind of set up in the kind of main live room there. And um, I think this was one of the first ones we started on. And uh, the way it was set up was as a performance involving me, which is quite, that was kind of a new thing for me of kind of being part of the recording process for in terms of performance at least so i had a sort of drum machine and a few pedals and yeah i mean you had all the drum machines we had we had quite yeah, a few, quite a few there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah we all kind of played in the room and just kind of using ben's demos as the kind of arrangements and just did long long takes i think this one was probably the longest out of all the yeah. kind of takes we did it was kind of well over an hour just playing it through over and over again. And yeah, then we had to kind of sift through everything we'd done and comp it all together into a song. Yeah, I think, you know, it was sort of one of those where the, the comp in process was almost like this task that for this song, it kind of stayed with us the whole time we were there was this thing and this behemoth in the background that was, you know, needed. You know, we knew there was loads of good stuff in there, but at some point we needed to do an edit on it and actually turn it into a song but it was yeah quite you know a lot of music a lot of different different sections and stuff through it It was sort of experimenting through drum machines and yeah. and delays i just had that stuttered guitar part that i'd had you know was kind of it's been a quite a feature on this record a kind of dual delay um it's just you know how i'd enjoy kind of making as much of the rhythm section as possible out of a guitar um, oh, were kind of based around those rhythms weren't they yeah but, do you have any of the demos? Yes. Uh, Excellent. How do you normally go about demoing a song then? Uh, a mix, but usually little voice memos. Mm. And then, you know, inevitably you get stuck on, you know, the sonic qualities of, you know, acoustic guitars through voice memos on iPhones and stuff sounds really good. And then you try and, really difficult when you sound chase sounds. So you kind of have to put it down and believe that it's a sketch and sort of, you know, never try and search for it too hard because you'll send yourself mad. Yeah. But um, that's my process is sort of sketches in voice memos. Um, yeah. Hours and hours of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have anything for walking backwards? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've got a drum machine going. Yeah. That's the CR78, isn't it? Yeah, this was the main one that had a drum machine. I think a lot of the others were just the kind of guitar doing the rhythm through a pedal. Yeah. It's a lot faster as well, actually, isn't it? You can kind of hear the guitar in the room as well, actually. Mm. Just not mm. just the amp, the actual um, tactile. <laughs> where where was this? Can you remember? Are, are you taking this kind of setup wherever you go? Yeah, this is my this is my pretty basic home setup here. Yeah. You know, guitar, delay, drum machine, and then drum machine for a delay pedal often. But mm. but yeah, I get quite um, 
stumped by you know having a decent recording set up so actually voice memos for me are a really nice way to get a clear picture really quickly of like whether there's a song in there um, yeah. rather than you know worrying about gain levels and getting into technicalities on the computer like it really it would just cut me off quite quickly so voice memo is a really nice way just to put it on the phone you get a kind of warts and all version of um you know mumbled vocals and yeah slight delay patterns and whether a drum sometimes you play a drum beat and it sounds really good and you play it back and the references from so much other stuff hit you and so you have like you know and that, that's actually one of you know nathan's amazing skills is reference point for drum machines i'm always just like fumbling in the dark with drum machines yeah. of like rhythms that i enjoy and sticking through delay pedals so they do things spontaneously um you know almost do stuff for you and you have a really good kind of reference focus point in rhythms and beats and stuff yeah um, where i'm sort of i feel like i'm just fishing most of the time yeah you know? yeah and how long have you been working with drum machines as a tool to unlock your ideas fairly yeah fairly consistent probably since noonday i'd say that mm. since that record yeah someone gave me one of those korg volker beats um is kind of a, a great great starting point really kind of yeah, versatile, you know, little pocket drum machine that you can take everywhere with you. Mm. So that I used to take that traveling with me. And then, you know, stick it with a, couple it with a nice delay pedal and you've got like a world of possibilities. Yeah, well, I mean, that demo already conjures up a world. I mean, did you share demos before you got to France with Nathan? I mean, were you playing in things from your phone in that coffee shop when you were having that coffee? I think you were. But no. you did send me maybe sort of a day after that, you sent a few... You sort of held back. I think you had a lot more, you were saying, but you were only willing to send it sort of two or three. <laughs> which is, yeah. I kind of like that because it's, for me, a lot of the time, the less I hear before getting in with someone, the better. Because as nice as it is to have an impression of a world that you're creating, it's, it's like you're saying if you have too much of an impression of that world, you're just trying to recreate that thing the whole time when you get in together and it's sort of, Mm. can feel a bit restrictive so yeah i quite appreciated that you were just careful about how much you shared yeah it's probably the opposite it was just like i was careful because it was i was so embarrassed about the quality <laughs> of the voice memos really like it's quite a, you know that's i remember it being quite a big big moment to share those initial recordings because they are kind of you know early naive windows to something and they're they're unfinished and they're you know sometimes they're just not great so I'm quite easily impressed by demos like that. <laughs> it worked for me. So, sounds great. great to me. I mean, great. it is a sketch, you know, but that's what yeah. it's for. Yeah, you know? they're sketches. I think if you can believe that in your head that it's a sketch and it's, um, it almost gives you the freedom to A, share it, and then B, um, continue with the idea and not let the idea overcome everything else mm. and, and stop you from kind of embellishing it. Yeah. And so you had the demo, you started jamming around the ideas that were in the demo. Mm. And then you're just recording everything that you did in that hour. And then the real work starts after that. You know, for the whole time that you're there, you're kind of going back and back to this track. Yeah, I think it's been aware at the beginning as well of, you know, if you're recording the room and, you know, I'm sure this one, there's probably a lot of bleed on a lot of different tracks. And that's always one point in the studio, isn't it, where you've kind of got to go one way or the other. You've got to commit to it being live and you're going to have to get big chunks of the song in its entirety or you start isolating stuff mm. and you, that's always a real teetering point i find in the studio 
where you know you can quite quickly enter into a world of pain and um <laughs> of just getting I, that isolate so, everyone yeah, yeah. i remember yeah because we had those two kind of room mics set up didn't we mm. in stereo i think we recorded every time we did a big group take we had we had those stereo room mics recording and we kind of i think on playback of this we were flipping between the room mics yeah and the mix without the room mics and yeah there was something in the sort of switching between the two sounds that was immediately like oh that's quite an interesting yeah, yeah. kind of flavor to to go for and we ended up using that in those kind of in yeah, the intro chops essentially became that cut up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so as, so in the room so you've got your drum machines ben you've got your guitar yeah i'm, I'm playing guitar and some pedals and and singing actually and singing i think i did a lot of scratch vocals on a yeah, yeah on a 57 and we kept quite a lot of scratch vocals actually maybe the, you know the song some of the songs are in a better place than others but yeah yeah actually fair bit of singing in the room as well and then who else so and then yeah mickey was playing uh mickey was playing baritone actually and yeah richie was playing keys right yeah I mean, i've got a clip of the of just the room mics on a certain part of the track Oh, Richie's playing oh, piano. piano. Sorry. Well, yeah. Right. Oh yeah, Richie's playing piano. Yeah. And um, the only way to keep it in was just it was on the room mic. On the room. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Oh, you can hear me mumbling in the background now. Oh yeah, sorry. That was a full. So that was a full track oh, with right. the room mic. Now this is just room. <laughs> So I think that's actually like a recording of going between the room and the uh, recording. What, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We got there in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're cutting, say, as a DJ, yeah, cutting between two tracks that are the same, but um, maybe one is a live version and one's a studio version and you, you kind of might use the same. Yeah. yeah. I suppose they're the same version. It's just the sort yeah. of um, whether you have the ambient detail or, or yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. That's you cutting between them. Yeah. yeah, so it's like me just hitting solo on the on the room mics and then unsiloing them and they're muted. So then the rest of the tracks are then live without the room mics. Yeah. But yeah, well, I think it took a while to figure out how to record that. Yeah. Rather than just have it play back in the room because we just had a few moments of doing that in the room where it was like, oh, that's that kind of feels like it should be part of the the song really. Yeah. Mm. With the kind of chopped up vocals coming through at times, and uh, I suppose that's the B section as well with the yeah, that, sort that of the end of the track, yeah. yeah. And in terms of the reference points that were revealed in that coffee meeting, you no, know, were there particular artists or particular recordings that you were agreed on or, or on the same page? Well, about? I mean, I, I guess the the conversation came about in the first place because I'd listened to the Westerman record um, that Nathan had made. Yeah, that was a firm favourite. A long time and then um you did that record with orlando as well that i don't think i knew about at the time and orlando came to our show on collections and there was this sort of serendipity between it all where orlando's record came out and i, I loved that record as well um the record you guys did together so it was you know there was two great records and so I, that's why i kind of rung nathan in the first place and was yeah. just like i love these records 
Yeah, so they're actually records you you made were the were the reference point. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, but that that, ma- good. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we make a record. Yeah, yeah. But records with a certain kind of atmosphere that you could explore or that you could yeah, see as something would, that would work I for think, you. Yeah, I think a few other. Th- I remember John Fahey was another. Yeah, yeah. We were sort of talking about like Americana type stuff, and then yeah. I think over the course of making the record feel like John Martin and yeah the sort of English folk references yeah there and sort of Sinead O'Connor and just yeah, yeah. there were a few there was a few points along the way where we played certain tracks to each other and yeah Robert Wyatt was another Robert Wyatt, yeah, yeah. yeah they just kind of it was just a, an ongoing kind of mm. shared oh yeah this could be in that world you know and there was never a point where the references seemed kind of too too obscure mm-hmm. they were kind of always in a a rough ballpark of you know new yeah i think quite quickly we knew what each other were talking about yeah um, yeah certainly certainly music yeah and sort of references to other other records mm. yeah but going back to walking backwards so you were recording the band all playing switching between these two ways of hearing it in a way and creating a, a new kind of texture mm-hmm. to it all by doing that in terms of the evolution of the song what happened next? I mean, did did you then have to start thinking about structure and yeah. rearranging things? The great and... edit, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, like like I said, there was a kind of um, we knew it was, you know, it was there to be edited at some point. Mm. Um, but we, uh, you know, we just never never got round to doing it. It was this thing kind of in the background, and so. Um, I think you know Nathan likes having his own studio space as well. At some points, and there was points where it was just like you know, why don't you guys go off and like you know go go to the sea and you know go for a swim and get out of here, and I'll do this comp because I want to you know I want to do the edit. Yeah, um, I think I said perfectly, I said it? that in not so many words. I think it was more <laughs> yeah. kind of a feeling that that's maybe what should happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. there was a kind of you guys were. Because there was a big sort of surfing element to the to the trip to France, and mm. it was a, a sort of morning and evening routine of kind of early morning surfing and then into the evening sometimes, and it just became this natural moment for me to to do some editing and comping and arranging and things like that. And yeah, uh, yeah, I think the studio, yeah, after um, what happened in sort of April May, the TIAs going into the studio was sometimes a lot of pressure to sort of maximize your time and um you know I, I was still it did take a little while to recover I was quite tired quite a lot and quite um yeah preoccupied sometimes so it was kind of really nice to kind of have a studio routine that was you know we actually prioritized a lot of free time as well mm. um and it kind of worked perfectly because Nathan was really keen to have his own time to you know because we would just throw in loads of music down constantly and eventually you know the room the space fills up with too much music and like definitely there was those moments where it's like I feel like there's probably enough information here that someone needs to sift through it and um yeah <laughs> make some sort of sense of it <laughs> and, and that's I was Nathan's I was I'm not so good with free time and yeah I think I like having a bit of time before a session starts the next day to yeah, to have a bit of shape and, you know, just some tidying up. And I think for my own sort of confidence as well, it's kind of useful to, yeah, to have done a bit of extra work and, yeah, to yeah, work quite well. So, I mean, what were the important things that you had to do? And and could you 
illustrate them and how you did it? Yes. I think, I mean, with this one, this was much more a kind of group effort in the in the editing. I remember sitting down yeah, with was... you because it was kind of, there were so many different sections that we'd played a lot of times. That it was yeah. It was a kind of, you know, finding out what Ben's preference was for how each of those sections should sound, you know, what were the what was the style of playing that was kind of fitting. And then there were two different beats as well. So was, yeah. we played to do two different drum tracks and we were trying to figure out one of them was much more laid back and yeah. I mean, the other one was pretty insistent and kind of... I mean, eventually we liked both of them so much, we just kept both of them and had an A, a B, but yeah. we were trying to like, there was an, definitely variations of the edit where we were trying to kind of start with one or the other and move them around quite a lot. Yeah, and in amongst all of that is a essentially a guitar with double delay on it. Um, so trying to edit that is really tricky. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that not, was definitely some of the time like spent while the surf was happening was yeah. was trying to yeah sort of chop up delays that were happening left and right, you know, and get them in line with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But I love doing that stuff. That wasn't that wasn't a chore. That's yeah. kind of I kind of like the sort of technical side of things where you can slightly tune your brain out and just do that rather than having to be ideas all the time you know can we hear the the two rhythms then the two drum beats and also you know the ed well uh, kind of <laughs> well, yeah. how you had to edit it i mean i can understand how that would be tricky yeah i mean it's more of a more of a visual thing <laughs> guess we could listen to the um if we're brave enough, we can listen to the guitar and see how the edits sound sort of isolated. Yeah. I mean, there's patches of um, also the original track of it, just it all live is interesting. Mm. But yeah, these are the sort of, these are the early drums. So is that the more insistent one? Yeah. Yeah. And the other rhythm was? The other one was... Wow. I mean, just hearing these alone, it sounds like a, an early Electra <laughs> record, mm, doesn't it? Right. You know, that you could just have that, you know, and then we'd all be body popping in the room. Yeah, and... yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a wonderful platform to work from, really. You know, it, it, these came quite, about quite quickly, you know, like you had quite a lot of references and samples and machines, and, you know, were quite quick to come up with uh, these great kind of rhythmic beds to play from. Mm. Yeah, everyone was kind of busy at their own little stations in the room because it's quite a big room so everyone could sort of be figuring out all their mm. their kind of parts separately and yeah it was really fun for me it's quite a new thing to be on the spot having to come up with a, a beat that everyone wanted to play to hopefully mm. you know and I'm way more used to doing that over a period of time you know doing a very rough thing early on and then kind of developing a, a drum meet because who wants to watch someone program drums sort of in the room together <laughs> but yeah I was always quite surprised at how at the feedback for those early on beats being sort of quite good and being enough to sort of drive things on so um yeah to be the bedrock essentially yeah, yeah maybe we could hear uh, the response so say if we hear that first beat again and then yeah. hear what you started to play with that would be yeah. interesting so that's the sort of delaying guitars. 
the other rhythm? Yeah, so the other one. I think these ones were a bit more kind of free-flowing, weren't they, over mm. the second half? But yeah, there were a lot of layers of guitar as well, weren't there? There were sort of five... I think that's that's partly what made the thing seem like such a mammoth task, was that we had, even just for the bass, I think there were four or five. It was like a DI and then four amps, mm. which I'm, again, I'm really not used to having so many parts. So it was, it was a bit of a learning curve for me to to sort of try and figure out how much of that to keep, you know, was I didn't yeah, necessarily yeah. know if the expectation was we're micing all these things so that we can use all of them. Yeah. Or if it was more like, well, just pick what you like. And I think, especially early on, I was quite polite and and just thinking, well, everything we record we need to yeah, include keep, that's, keep the options open as well. That's yeah. sort of my job. But I think as we went on, you guys would, you know, like do what you need to do. And we're big boys. Yeah, we you started like, yeah, <laughs> closing the room down a little bit, wasn't it? Of like yeah. muting that. You don't need four mics on your amp. You take those two. Or do <laughs> right. they, you know, like starting yeah. to, you know, otherwise it's a, it's a file you can't even open as well. Yeah. And yeah, so it's true. <laughs> I guess the, the missing element so far is the vocal then. So, you know, we can hear all those different ingredients. I mean, you were singing as you were playing. Yeah. Did you then do a separate vocal run through or, or anything yeah, yeah i think this one it was it was it was just such a sketch and you know you there's those long form um music projects like that where it's you know it is a kind of open-ended thing there's only so much you can sing before it just starts getting in the way of the you know the format of the music so yeah it was just a, a vocal afterwards once we had a you know a comp of the song and then moved the moved the comp to fit the lyrics that i'd had for it you know, realise that we were kind of missing half a verse or something, and then you've got to find more from different parts. So it did become quite a quite an editing process from what was a really beautiful, long kind of, uh, dare I say, organic piece of music. Yeah. I've I've always loved those, you know, the Talk Talk records, the um, Spirit of Eden and stuff, where there's, you know, the beautiful, long-form pieces of music that have kind of just had the odd edit here and there, but there's moments of music that you can't get to without sitting down and playing it for an hour. I've always I've always thought that would be amazing, and I thought we were doing it here, and then we just edited the hell out of it, and <laughs> was like, okay, we'll take that. Yeah. And, well, it's all part of the but there's process. The odd, you know, there's the odd little turn of guitar or something, the odd catch of delay where you couldn't have got that if it was a standing start. You know, mm. you'd have to kind of be immersed in there you know always helps with groove and stuff as well i think those long long pockets but um yeah it's trying to find that balance between a heavily edited song and something that um has a kind of graceful movement through it as yeah. well yeah i suppose so are we able to hear some of these vocals uh, absolutely yeah did you want to hear them? We could start with the vocal on its own and then build up the parts around it, maybe. Sure. Some days I'm walking backwards. Truth be told, I don't mind. And in terms of the approach of of how you wanted to sing on this record and what kind of sound you wanted, you know, did you have any preconceptions or does it relate specifically to each track as it's 
being created. Yeah, I don't think I had a kind of direction necessarily. Um, a lot of, you know, we, we did a real world session after this, like for a lot of overdubs and things, and a lot of vocals got replaced and then, you know, we went back to originals. You know, that, that often seems to be what happened. You know, you try and do a, um, a better vocal version mm. and then you come back and realize the spirit was right the first time around. So I think a lot of these, this feels like it was a, an early early vocal just because it, it's quite, you know, um, laconic and it's, I think a lot of the vocals are fairly kind of lazy and floated, especially if tracks are really rhythmical. I try and kind of um, soften a vocal and yeah. then the other way around if it's a soft And, and when you're singing it, I mean, do you have all these effects on the voice as you sing it? So you, are you hearing those? Uh, as you sing. No, I think I'd sung dry, didn't yeah. I? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember you quite early on, I sort of offered some yeah. light reverb and you said, no, nice yeah. and dry for me, <laughs> which right. I, I really like because it is, I think it makes you sing better as well if, you're, yeah, yeah. if you've got no, no effects to fall back on, you're just going to really kind of hone in on the performance. Yeah. And I mean, I've definitely suffered the fate of... Uh, the singer's fate of someone putting a load of reverb on your voice and you singing live and then realising that there's no not the same verb out front mm. and you're just singing out of tune the whole time. Or right. you, you pitch in and you're struggling and <laughs> you, you hear a record and you're like, hang on. Yeah, that's interesting. That's so, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, I could see how that could be confusing. But then, but then there's a sort, you know, there's obviously singing with effects is way more enjoyable. Mm. Right. But then the effects that you're putting on, you know, are quite deep. Really, yeah, no, and it, you know, and that decision is an interesting one too, mm, yeah, because um, and, it, and and definitely in terms of the evolution of Ben Howard's music, you know, mm. this this is quite different from say, you know, your first record or yeah, yeah, know, in terms of approach and and how you know everything is is kind of much more deconstructed, both from vocal through to rhythm through to guitar parts. Mm. You know, it's much more experimental in many ways. And I mean, one of the things that I really enjoyed on both the, um, you know, the Westerman and um, uh, Orlando's records was the vocal production. And so it was very much a thing where I just, you know, I think I was, we talked about it quite early on, didn't we? You know, mm. I was really happy for Nathan just to sort of, you know, take charge and do what he felt sounded good. I've been singing through an Echoplex quite a lot at home. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed singing through delays. So as soon as Nathan started putting kind of delay flutters or those, you know, there's a really interesting little reverse delay you have on some sentence was, I was really happy. Yeah. It's just, that's brilliant. Well, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. that all came from Nathan, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the France recordings, because we had access to some nice mics there as well. And yeah. I think that your 58 sort of, as you were playing vocals, we used quite a lot of those, those in the final tracks. Yeah. yeah. I think partly because you were playing as you were singing on those takes as well. Yeah, yeah. And when we were doing the kind of more, right, let's do the final vocal thing, it just, I, I find often that you you lose some of the, you know, locked in performance sometimes. Yeah, it's always difficult when you start detaching stuff, isn't it, to then try and reattach it. I suppose yeah. that's why kind of delay and reverb and stuff actually kind of creates a great picture when you've played a lot live in the room because it kind of starts to tie a vocal back into into the song. Yeah. Maybe we should um, just hear another section of the song just to, to kind of wrap things up that might illustrate some of the things that we've been talking about. So a bit of vocal and... Just the full 
kind of full yeah, we track. Did, we didn't get into the, the horn section. And stuff, oh, there, yeah. the... Well, let's have a blast of the horn section on its own and then you can bring the track in. So who who's playing these horns? Uh, well, it's this guy, James Arben. Mm. I think it's just sax, isn't it? But, yeah. But it, yeah, it kind of feels like a a sort of horn section in the way it's kind of layered and yeah. the sort of size of it. Um, well, it's funny because we were kind of doing doing it remotely as well. You had James in, and I was I was elsewhere. Just I just remember singing um, voice notes at you of like potential lines lines that aren't ones that got picked up because they were you know terrible melodic <laughs> lines. But you know one of those things you're like someone like da 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 or something and like singing it into the phone and sending it back and listen to it going that'd be a terrible saxophone line <laughs> and all like they'd you, you know Nathan like they've been be in the studio and try those sort of voiced lines you know like i can't i can't play sax i can't play um can't play brass so it's like someone it's like someone singing over to me over the phone to me like how to play the guitar it's just like <laughs> doesn't doesn't really work but it could bit. create an interesting effect i mean what did james come up with then? well he's yeah i mean he's got a very good ear so he did I think he just followed those lines quite faithfully. And yeah. And yeah, did some embellishing what, around the it. The lines I sang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's. A, I'm not going to play those lines. I took it very literally that that's what, that's what you're after. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, then Raven's on this as well with the stutters, the um, violin stutters. Right, so this yeah. is Raven Bush. Yeah, I'm yeah assuming. that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's only one Raven around, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He played on a few few tracks in the end and he some yeah. sort of string stuff we had raven in at real world and you know just put him through the echoplex and you know that kind of tactile strings with with delay for me is just the kind of magic magic ingredient so this one there's a lot of the kind of rhythmical stuff that we really wanted to kind of embellish and put like a lot of my guitar patterns and stuff get a bit lost in the choruses and stuff it's a kind of um potentially just a bit too messy and too kind of intricate in amongst it so the kind of um the violins kind of snaps on it were really kind of pivotal and kind of popping out some detail. Same as the horns, you know, the, when those bits came together, the song really came to life, I, I found. Right. And nice, you know, leaning on other people to sort of bring, you know, bring that kind of joy and um, flair out of a song. Yeah. Shall I play, play the sax and yeah. strings uh, yeah. together? And... Uh, well, if you can isolate them, that yeah. sax then, sure. the violin then. And then the violin. And then with the rest of the track. good um we're going to take a quick break so yeah. that is walking backwards the next song we're going to look at is days of lantana 
You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers, and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists, and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favorite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. The next one we're going to look at from Ben Howard's Is It is Days of Lantana. And Nathan has the master. He's going to give us a little blast of it. feel to it so that is days of lantana and it sounds like you're telling us about a particular place or a particular time there ben is lantana a place or uh, no lantana so, is um uh is a is a weed i suppose it's a right. plant that is uh grows all over the place I, I don't think it's actually from europe but it grows in europe and it's it has the they call it the spanish flag because it has the colors of the spanish flag right so yeah it's uh you know i guess uh Semi-autobiographical, I suppose. Yeah, kind of a, a chapter, you know, some kind of impatient love story or something, I suppose. Yeah. Um, is, is horticulture <laughs> a, a big part? No, no not, not particularly, no. <laughs> um, completely out of my depth here now. Just, no, it's not. Uh, educated. 
Not really. I mean, it's just a reference point of a time, time and a place, I suppose, in songwriting. It's, a, you know, something of an attachment that, you know, becomes a, a visual aid to a, to a time and a place. So, yes, yeah, I suppose this is a, yeah, autobiographical story, a kind of a, a telling of some small tale, a kind of a, yeah, a day in a life, maybe a sort of um, a coming to terms with things, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I always think sometimes with your music that um, you're chasing a sound that can somehow capture a moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so say you like the sea, you like surfing, and, mm. and, but sometimes there'll be a moment where you're stunned by the reflection of the sun on the water or something, or you're walking down a, a path, you know, and, and somehow there's the combination of the, the senses, you know, both the light and the, and the smells. And I always feel that sometimes with your music, it's almost like you're trying to capture that mm. musically somehow and put us in a place in that way. Yeah, I think I've always seen song as a as, as a kind of passing place, it not being a permanent thing, you know, to, um, yeah, and alluding to something is as good as spelling something out or just to, if you can grasp those, those micro moments, you know, that are at the same time macro moments and, you know, the sort of, I don't know, the the grand and the small and the... the those just serendipitous moments, yeah, that a song is a gesture to that of, you know. Um, so that one, yeah, is a sort of... A, I think there's a few on this record that are passing feeling because mm. um, that kind of feels like what the record encapsulates. More and more, the further I get away from since we've made it, is that it feels like, a yeah, an, an alluding to a kind of a passing moment, yeah, a flicker of light, a sort of a slight indulgence, a, you know, a rare flash of anger or, a, you know, those those things that are all very natural and they appear all the time and it's quite easy not to write a song about. So I suppose I do kind of linger in that in that world a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, and I like it. It's, it's so hard to do. I mean, how do you capture a feeling but yeah. or, or, or the the sense of a, a moment? But because the, the music that you create, I always think it's it's kind of searching and, and yet it's, it's also... Um, kind of ephemeral as as well not in a forgettable way but in a, in a in a you know it's it's that movement that you're talking about yeah. and and as the music has evolved and and you know as each album goes on it it feels that 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 attempt to try and capture those uncapturable things yeah. um, continues you know and that that seems to be reflected in both the way that you're using delays on the guitars and and you know the the vocal effects and everything it's um yeah. you can't pin it down because, I, I suppose because... i'm always kind of searching for a the worth of a song of like what a, what a song needs to be to be worth anything you know does it need to answer a big question does it need to explain something does it need to um and you know oftentimes it is you know being able to you provoke a momentary feeling that that you know someone else has experienced inevitably, or like um, yeah. You know, so I, I think I navigate song in in a, in terms of feeling, but at the same time, kind of very lyrical. And I'm to be honest, I'm always a bit like lost in my songwriting anyway. So it's, it is a kind of scrabbling around of like, what is what is all this? Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, musically, I mean, <laughs> delay helps. Yeah. I'll, I'll take some delay. <laughs> so what's going on? How did this one come about? And um, you you mentioned Linda Thompson. Is that relating to this song, or is? It... Yes, the um, the sample in the the vocal sample 
in there is um, Linda Thompson, which is in Nathan's record collection in his studio in Tottenham. I, I'd sit there next to your record collection and you know, your dad's poetry book um, and the book on meditation. Oh, the David Lynch. David Lynch's meditation. Catch the big fish. And you know, just a few sort of things that became very much part of that experience. And one of them was sifting through the record collection. That Linda Thompson record was was one of them. Yeah, I think we, this was kind of after we'd recorded in France and we came back to my studio in Tottenham and did a bunch of kind of overdubbing of synths and and guitars and all the kind of horns and things like that. And um, yeah, and I think we had a few or a couple of days where we just kind of pulled some records out and put them on and over parts of tracks where there was maybe not so much going on or like an, an opportunity for some musical moment outside of the performances. And yeah, I think the vocal in this Linda Thompson track just immediately was in the right key. Yeah, we were both sat there kind of, you know, one of those serendipitous moments where that felt it felt like the right track to put on and then as soon as you put it on... It was really um, just a wonderful moment where it kind of, you know, the stars aligned, I suppose, just went and um, we sat there going, wow, this is, we can, we could get this on here. And then, yeah. And it would be, uh, you yeah, know, elevate it into some, something, something. Yeah. Something. I think, I think there was a certain timing to it that we were trying to, to keep going. So I, we were kind of slowing down and speeding up the record mm. so that the vocal would stay in that kind of rhythm yeah but and it's it's something to do with her kind of her speaking french as well and you know being um i suppose that record for linda thompson being a kind of detachment from the sort of folk a departure from that kind of folk world the piano that kind of sifts in through it but mainly her speaking french and then being manipulated and pitch shifted and stuff it just was wonderful how the kind of words felt like a they feel like a muddle, and obviously the theme of the song is the uh, the three birds of paradise. You know the the tricolor of the French, uh, the French flag. Um, you know a, a woman finds out that her husband has gone to has, has died in the war because these three birds of paradise come to her and stuff, and it just felt like the whole thing felt very serendipitous. Mm. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. let's let's hear a bit of Linda. Um, yeah, I could play the the kind of intro to this, and then maybe. We were thinking we could play the original yeah. track as well, just to get a kind yeah, of yeah, that, that you know the uh, that second or further into the song. Yeah. yeah. The... It's actually a choral vocal backing, isn't it? It's not piano. So mm. It's voices. Right. Cover. Can you play it within the, the, oh, sorry, the yeah. song? So that's what you did to marry it to your track. Mm. And then the original sounded 
like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting hearing the the original because it's a lot slower. Yes, yeah, yeah. And what inspired you to speed it up in that way? I think it was to get it in pitch, really. Yeah, yeah it was sort a pitch. Of, it was pitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the main the main aim was just to find a sample that would, yeah, be in the sort of right key. Yeah. Um, what record is it on? Uh, it's called One Clear Moment. I, I mean, look at the. It's just it's great. Quite, Great cover. It's got a really good Always, cover, I yeah. pick records and books by covers, and it's right. I mean, it's brilliant. What's on the cover? It's her sort of reflected in a like a glass kind of wall with a right. It plate all, from on it. from this distance, it looks a bit like a Magritte or something like that. Right. Um, but it's a photograph of Linda. What what era did she release this? Uh, what is eighty five? Right. This was yeah. Yeah, it's a great great record. Mm. And I love the way that. The serendipity played its part, you know, and that uh, you're just kind of hanging out and just fiddling around, really. And then, you know, something that you wouldn't necessarily have, have thought of doing, but adding yeah. this. And it kind of gives it another dimension. Yeah, I think often with that stuff, you have to be fairly, I mean, you've got a lot more experience of it than me, but fairly open minded and spend the time. You know, you, you can have the best intentions to try and kind of strong arm samples into stuff, and sometimes they don't feel right. And, um, certain passages of songs and you know often often you're playing with those those mistakes and those wonderful little moments in recording where you capture just something that sits right and then you chase it um whether i think that's just, i find that often with instrumentation as well as I, I suppose with you know playing through delay a lot of the time i'm always looking for those little moments that you don't you don't necessarily come up with yourself you trip over something and it's what spills out um and I felt that with, you know, this this experience of kind of finding samples for the record, it's, yeah, the intention is there, but you never would have, you know, almost like the Talk Talk stuff, you never would have been able to record that straight out of the blue, and that's exactly what you intended to do. Yeah. Um, and being able to, you know, be okay with that, you know, you don't have to mastermind everything. Your records can make themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've, that's something I really enjoyed about working with Ben was was that he would go along with some of those ideas and kind of see where they were going. Even there were definitely some things that I tried <laughs> that you were kind of looking at me askance and but he would always give it the night to kind of yeah. really decide and allow those ideas to flourish and, and a lot of them died. But some of them, you know, became something and that's for me, that's quite a rare thing of, and it's a really, I guess it's based on experience as well of, of recording with lots of different people and, and realizing that, you know, not all ideas are going to seem brilliant straight away. And it takes a bit of time and just having the patience to, to let something grow and, and just see is quite, quite hard to do. I think, you know, on my side, that's something I have to remind myself of as well, you know, to kind of not just shut ideas down if they seem not quite right straight away, you know. I mean, yeah, you also you have this um, great kind of patience with people, and you know, in the, in the studio and stuff. And so it's more like it was the other way around for me of like finding where Nathan's limit was in terms of like <laughs> he would say something was yeah, it's good, and you'd be like, 
he doesn't like that bit. He doesn't like this. And, you know, you kind of, it was only, you, you push back on a few, few sort of key things. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was like, there's certain moments and they were like guaranteed no's of like, that shouldn't be on the record. I'm like, okay, fine. I agree with you. Yeah. You, know, those, you find those agreement points together and, you know, it was, it was a great, great experience. Um, but it is, yeah, those, how much you choose to challenge yourself and how much you choose to uh, relinquish responsibility mm. and take responsibility it's a it's a constant ebb and ebb and flow and i think this record was yeah really enjoyable for that wasn't it yeah and just sometimes going all right there's the <laughs> there's the line yeah yeah, yeah that's uh, can't get away with that guitar solo <laughs> there's a few dodgy ones in there. <laughs> really interesting i mean i'm conscious of mention of time you know that we're, we're we're on the clock i mean we you know we've got a lot to get through so is there anything else before we move on from taste of lantana that we should hear or or dig into or illustrate well i just i'd say one kind of key f- just because we've been rehearsing recently one key feature in this for me has been the pitch of the guitar the tuning of the guitar which is kind of a one of those amazing things that we were chasing a lot in rehearsal and i couldn't understand it and my guitar's tune would pitch shifted it and my guitar is my guitar's tuned to like a B flat or something or like it's nearly down and it's kind of like baritone realm. Um, and that's just from my guitars constantly slipping out of tune and not tuning it up and not realizing what tuning I was in, just uh, tuning to the closest thing and, um, and realizing that's actually a really beautiful thing about the song is actually the pitch it's in. The, the, so the key it's in It's like sitting down there. It's kind of quite, um, quite low you know i would never tune a guitar to that and the the guitar part's right on the bottom of the bottom of the neck so um i think originally we did we recorded it where you would normally have your guitar tuned yeah so the first version we did was it was a bit slower and in a completely different key um so i've got that version yeah. here actually and but i think it was just slightly too low for you to get to the and so it was lower the lowest yeah. notes yeah so we had to pitch it up to where the Do we final pitch it up yeah 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 i can't I mean, quite get my head around now you're having to pitch your guitar down further than yeah yeah <laughs> but, no. but yeah one of those that you do it, in, do it on the record or you know whatever the record turns out like and you're like, oh it's fun yeah it sounds amazing sounds great and then you come to play it and you're like oh, hang on how, how are you <laughs> yeah this yeah how do i do that but it is the essence there's something in there that um you know just rings true there's some sort of har- harmonic in there that kind of is a real beautiful notion in this song i mm. think shall i play the yeah kind please of original do. yeah i'm quite i'm quite intrigued So when you changed it, did you have to replay it or did you just pitch it up in terms of um, taking the recording and, and pitching that up? Do we not pitch it down and I just sing the octave? Yeah, I think we've, we've gone down for that. I think. Oh, maybe that's we'll what it is. Delete yeah. this whole I might have deleted we'll <laughs> no, 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 the whole no. section. I might have got it completely wrong. <laughs> but I think the, yeah, the final one just felt a lot brighter and kind of it isn't it i, I, I think we pitched, i think it's not just i the think octave. we pitched it down and i sing the octave 
Yeah, so oh, we, so he pitched down from there. But yeah, I think I must have been the CEO. Right, okay. This. So there he pitched down the music. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It and then you sound re-sang like it, the yeah. vocal higher. I sang the, the octave. Yeah. I'm actually singing a low octave there. Right, okay. But I wouldn't be able to sing the low octave in the new key because it's too low. I literally <laughs> heard that that deep vocal and just went, oh, yeah, it was originally lower, but that, that makes sense. You were singing the octave down. So you can play us how it ended up. Um, yeah. And we can probably hear the contrast. Yeah, what's, what's the note on that last one? Dun, dun. It's definitely in a different key. It's just... And I'm definitely singing up. You're singing up the octave, yeah. Yeah. But we um we did end up using those, the vocals from it that, that lower octave yeah. one. We kind of re-pitched them for the final right. version. And they've just got this slightly weird aliasing effect that works kind of quite nicely in a way. They sort of feel a bit haunting to me. Mm. Heavily tuned as well. I suppose the kind of, um, the, you know, the guitar part on it is a very kind of cyclical thing, so it was a really great um, song to play with vocal production and play with um, instrumentation, this harmonium that comes halfway through the verse that was a real find. I've just, you know, always wanted to put more and more harmonium on records and we found one, which we bought one in France and we took it to the studio and it's always kind of Russian roulette a little bit whether they're going to yeah. be in tune. And it's a pedal one, so you get, it's really hard to mic up, you get the noise of the pedals. And um, for me it's just a ah, beautiful lilt and a you know, real kind of sunshine moment. As soon as Richie started playing that, with those little kind of uh, Celtic turnarounds, it just uh, melts my heart. So would you be able to yeah. build up the instruments on top of this to the full session? We need to move on from Taste of Lantana. So we're going to take another break, but we'll be back and we're going to look at Spirit. Oh, wow, yeah. And the next song we're going to look at from Is It is Spirit. And Nathan is going to play us the master. flowers as our gym you and me walking out on the gyms satellite sea terrain blue 
from the album is it and i guess maybe that's where the title comes from is it, is it? Yeah, yeah 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 hadn't quite twigged that um and what is that instrument then at the start of that song i mean is is it a cello it sounds like a cello to me um but is it your guitar it, ben it's just a little um an op1 arpeggio on uh, on the strings and it might not actually even be an i serve um through an echoplex again just a little um little pattern i can't play the piano so um any sort of piano uh thing i end up i embark on is always quite a simple little piece so it's kind of just a little chopped up two or three notes and yeah um looped and it, was that something you already had yeah uh, yes yeah, yeah yeah i mean the plan was to re-record it um and we you know we got raven in to re replay it but it just seemed to kind of sit in this place where it didn't need um didn't need fussing with it was kind of it was its thing yeah I don't, was, is that is it, it a does, voice memo or is it a, did we record uh, that yeah that was from your your kind of original demo yeah but then it, yeah the raven strings do come in yeah so they're bit, the pickups sort of fuller right fuller bodied sort of yeah. version of it but yeah it Which, felt like it needed to stay as it was early on didn't it and yeah. just and that ray you know raven player it gives it that kind of widescreen again like through the echoplex at real world yeah it just feels really good in there and yeah so those became the moments that kind of punctuated it yeah i guess it's quite a strange song isn't it because the you know the there's that element of it that's kind of organic and not organic and then the bass is kind of doing a weird thing um where the bass is doing this kind of backwards following the vocal melody which very much a kind of Mickey Smithism. Yeah, as the first was, first bass part he come up with was this sort of perfectly following your lead, but backwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he did we, that. He that? did that a few times. I was kind of because I nearly kind of brought a bass player yes. who I who I get to play on a lot of my stuff to France, and he he couldn't make it in the end because of a passport issue. But I'm really glad in the end that he didn't come because it was kind of this discovery of how Mickey plays with Ben and just like almost exactly follows Ben's lead lines on some of the songs. Yeah, and, and, and always, struck by it. always just comes out with something that, yeah, some just madness often, some like real breathtaking moments of musicianship. He's kind of uh, really, you know, we've played together for years now, it still throws me how kind of incredible some of his, you know, some of his lines are how kind of, you know, he's known amongst our band of having the biggest pedal board and all the sort of, it's crazy, this kind of sound sound world he, he goes into and comes out of as yeah. well. But, you know, yeah. just that bass, he, so often the bass lines are slightly tweaked, slightly twisted, and, um, you know, a lot of the bass actually comes from, from my guitar, weirdly, it's like a patterned guitar thing. This, uh, so, again, there's a kind of weird trony bass drop that along with mixed bass just creates a kind of quite a deep low end 
So that's just the guitar parts for a pattern. Yeah, and as are you putting that sub as well? A synth, yeah, synth, synth bass. But again, yeah, it's kind of like long form bed of, you know, it's a two chord turnaround really, and it's finding those elements to embellish it. And, you know, Mickey and everyone that's sort of played on this kind of really just brought these kind of dynamic elements to what is a, is a very, um, very kind of simple song form really. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, because it's, <clears throat> this was another long kind of recording yeah. session, wasn't it? But it was just easier to, kind of comp down to a shorter thing because it mm -hmm. just felt like it could just go round and round and yeah. we recorded so many extra parts to come in, including these flutes in um Yeah. Yeah, Goldrick with the flutes. Yeah. yeah. And did the the flutes didn't make the cut before they did. Yes, they did. Yeah. They did, yeah. Mick's got a reel on the end of this. It's amazing. This Mick. was through the Echoplex as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So have you got the dry channel or just the combine? That'll just, yeah, that'll be delayed so, through the Echoplex, I think. Yeah. yeah. So we actually got Mick to come, Mick McGoldrick, to come and play um, Illum Pipes on another song. And he came with, uh, you know, f with flutes and whistles and stuff and, you know, had, yeah, had his amazing box of instruments and... He started playing on playing on this one, and it just was beautiful. And I, we just had him through the room mics, you know, um, into Echoplex, or like sent back out to the Echoplex and back in. So I was kind of like manually tinkering. I don't know whether we did the same with Raven. It was like how much Raven or Mick monitor what I was, you know, right messing with, or whether they were playing kind of clean a bit. It became a really nice saturated world where there's you know. A lot of it's rhythmical playing and then the delays twist it and kind of turn it and, you know, pitch shift it. And, I remember yeah. that first take that Mick had the pipes going. Yeah. And he he was droning for like five minutes straight through the straight and we were all sort of, I was just way too polite to say like, oh, I think we've got it now. And he was just <laughs> yeah. carrying on and everyone was like, get to stop. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a drone. Actually, you can, yeah, you yeah can just go on forever. Uh, but you, you were thinking, well, we can he, just. Yeah, he was probably struggling forever. But I was just worried about offending him by saying, "Stop playing." You know, it was mm. kind of. It felt quite, felt like quite a moment to hear these pipes in that room for the first time as well. It was just quite a sort of special. Yeah, sound. man, that, that was yeah, it was phenomenal. That for me, um, be, that was on uh, Richmond Avenue. Plays plays the pipes on that. It's, yeah, beautiful. But yeah, this was a kind of. You know, a reel that he just kind of, yeah, let rip on this, and it's just just magic. When that sort of rhythmical element is moving in the room, and then you've got another um, rhythmical instrument, you know, playing like that, it was yeah, yeah, real kind of joyous. Um, we we're looking around, going, I hope this is getting recorded. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, quite a luxury, you know, to be able to play an Echoplex at Real World Studio. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, I mean, it's interesting hearing the end of it because it's kind of like everybody's, you know, it's quite a Kaylee you've got. Yeah, I mean, on. it's it's close, isn't it? It's amazing. A couple of instruments lend to it, and then um, yeah, you've you know, it is kind of Kaylee esque. Yeah, um, well, or it could be, but then you're running it through the Echoplex and and also bringing your both of your heads to it and what you're trying to yeah, achieve just, as a whole. You know, mm, so that yeah, I think it was. I mean, it's interesting recording the pipes, wasn't it? That it was. Uh, it's such a strong imprint such a you know iconic instrument that to try and tie it into you know a separate track on on richmond avenue to try and kind of find its place yeah the same with uh same with flute there it's like of really trying to tie it tie it in takes a lot to for it not to um be too much of an imprint um and it, you know there's a lot of fiddle there that's kind of bowed fiddle. there's a lot of kind of wild noises through that mm. at the end of that track yeah it's fun so we always ask people who come on tape notes um, a few questions. One is about a piece of kit or equipment or an instrument, something that either this record couldn't have been made without or just you cannot exist without it. You know, it's so fundamental to, to how you create or, or how you approach things. Well, I guess, I mean, I probably would have said something else before actually going through all those songs, but, you know, I seem to, I feel like I've just been talking about Echoplex for the last three <laughs> songs, so I guess I'll pick that one. I'll pick the, yeah, you know, Tape Delay, I think, is an obvious one for this record specifically. You know, the imprint of it, the randomness of that world, and the rigidity of that world, you know, it kind of really forces, especially as a guitarist, it forces you to, um, it forces your pocket when you play. But then it also can be yeah, a beautiful kind of um, serendipitous world where you're not in control and it's just a real, real bastard to edit. And that you know, <laughs> yeah. one one bad note goes on for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. what about yourself, Nathan? Is there anything that you particularly can't work without? Yeah, well, I just suddenly realised one of the the sort of main backing vocals effects we used on this was the h3000 yeah, yeah. like a stutter algorithm which is sort of it just does all these randomized sort of speeding up and slowing down and pitching up and and down kind of anything you feed into it and yeah i think we just ran all the backing vocals at a certain stage in the track through it and um does these kind of stereo effects as well kind of Come out in the rain. You just hope for it to be in key as much as possible. We just did a lot of takes. Always record, yeah, sort of ten takes to get a good comp. But I've been using it loads. What's it called again? The H. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's an H three thousand ultra harmonizer, and I think it's like a mid eighties. Yeah, kind of. It's basically like a modulation box. But yeah, I've been using that stutter algorithm a lot on on things and it's um it always gives you something eventually that's it's usable yeah <laughs> it sounds great kind of hearing it panning from side to side mm, in yeah. the headphones there yeah yeah it sounds really cool another element that we're intrigued by is routine and habit so as a producer nathan maybe there's a a, a regular approach or habit routine that you take when you're approaching any particular music or any particular project um, is there anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of coming back to what I was saying earlier about working with Ben and his kind of patience to 
let an idea flourish and develop. I think that's something that I've been sort of advising myself to do more of in, in the last few years working with other people is is just listening really and, and kind of rather than always jumping in with your what you would do, just hearing other approaches and, and letting those ideas, you know, grow and, and become something. And yeah, and that, I guess not to the point where you completely lose your own vision, but I just think that that is the spirit of sort of collaboration for me. And that's, yeah, that's the sort of number one thing that I think is, has become part of my sort of aspirational routine anyway. Right, right. It's kind of a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself, Ben? I mean, is it something that has evolved? I mean, do you think that, say, maybe maybe in the early days of when you were starting to learn the guitar and play the guitar, you had certain routines that helped make progress with the instrument and then now you have a different approach? I'd sort of say my the, the routine that I've started to become aware of, you know, that's quite i've realized over the years actually quite fundamental to how i work is is actually being deliberately very lazy for a long time um you know and it's it just seems to be the way i kind of store up information and energy um to like not to try and be entertained by a lot of things not to try and be kind of searching for inspiration constantly not be you know not be giving yourself a really hard time as well because with that comes a real baggage and a weight of expectation and um you know and just and things and clutter so to try and be um you know a bit useless for a while and then so that by the time you do come to embark on you know that doesn't mean i'm not doing anything there's like you know i do work a little bit but um i'm kind of gathering and then when i get to the studio i feel like i've got enough energy and I've got enough about me to and it, that comes from being lazy rather than being really prolific <laughs> I think um, yeah. or maybe you've realised that you need that downtime to be able to have the productive time yeah 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 that they have to be um, you know personally I feel like they have to be have to be quite balanced it means I don't um, I am not prolific you know in, in the grand scheme of things but I take my time with my work and go about it slowly but you know fairly doggedly but you know slow and steady yeah well five, that's five albums in it's, <laughs> it's it's going pretty well this approach i reckon oh thank you yeah um so we always also seek advice from people we wonder whether you have learned a lesson over time or you've been given some advice by somebody along the way that you would want to pass on or you know is there something that through experience you know you think actually you know like, People should be aware of this or just something somebody once said that stuck with you. I mean, is there anything like that? Hard not to make a joke out of that. And, you know, the one thing I got told was don't listen to all the advice. Always, you know, <laughs> definitely pick and choose your advice that you're given. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a nice one. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, go about things your own way and don't be distracted is always something that um, I've always felt kind of rang true for me. Yeah, slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think mine is is sort of about listening again and not actually not listening to too much other music. Sort of in general for me, I've sort of found that um, the less music I'm listening to while I'm working on my own music or producing for other people, the more I can sort of um, just focus in on 
on that project and and not yeah not be distracted by thinking oh this other mu sort of contemporary music is is what I want to be doing and I'd you know I I think that takes me away from sort of being present if I'm listening to to what my sort of peers are doing if that's the word but I think yeah I guess the danger in that is you become really self-referential you don't or, listen to yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know it's kind of I've I've just had this recent discovery that I think I'm maybe referencing my own music in what I'm making <laughs> next which is sort of feels very indulgent but I thought that's just naturally where I'm going and I'm sort I'm sort of embracing that and seeing what happens it could lead to just it could lead to something awful eventually giant but, feedback loop yeah huge yeah but, but then uh, if people like Ben are knocking on the door because of your work you know it's yeah. they're, they're referencing it so you know they're coming to you for that reason in a way but I guess yeah. like with all these things you'll probably reach a point where you've had enough of that and completely yeah, change your it's approach bound to be a phase yeah, yeah exactly yeah I think just recently I'm just enjoying at the end of the day leaving the studio and not listening to anything else and that's that's quite sort of peaceful for me yeah I mean I, I'd definitely say that's an overlap with me as well I don't listen to a lot of music when I'm making a record for sure and it, yeah it's that thing of kind of sticking to your lane as well and not being saturated by there's so much out there that kind of just pours into your world that you know it's uh it's your world and it's it's important to have those kind of boundaries of like how much how much information how much you know music is an information how much of that you let in yeah um one thing i'd say was you know the record we made i'd gone in you know obviously big fan of nathan so the idea of making records probably similar to that of westerman or lando you know and like um and really leaning on nathan and you know we came up with a record that is again a kind of a different place again i think you always have these ambitions for a record to be something and they never they're never what you want them to be and you have to find a piece with that sometimes it's for better sometimes it's for worse and a lot of the times your expectations are are tested and and troubled but you get to the end of it and what you've created is the point yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of questions from people who are our patrons via Patreon. Oh, um, one is um, <laughs> uh, with regard to improvisation involved in the recording process. This is from Samuel. Do you write then arrange the songs in your door or do you write in the box? And you've kind of covered this a little bit. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's kind of all in the box, really. it's I'm not sort of accomplished enough as a musician to sit down and play a guitar or a piano and and do it that way so um it Wait, all... sorry are we talking about computers in the box What's yeah, the... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. yeah 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 i'm making a big assumption there on on sort of it's quite techy language it, isn't it it, it in is the box. i mean well some of the people we speak to that's how they create ah, and okay. some people who would be more from uh the kind of instrument first standpoint yeah yeah you know are taking a different approach but having said that from what you're saying about yeah, your demos and stuff you're using other equipment sometimes to capture ideas and thoughts just as much as you might your guitar. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, not not really computer. Mm, um, yeah. World, I suppose. I very much rely on on others to really have that capability. Yeah, but that's why you turn to people like Nathan. That's uh, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. That's yeah. It <laughs> yeah. sort of gives me some purpose at least. <laughs> 
Christian Herald on Patreon uh, sent us a, a really long post with a lot of love for your music, Ben. Mm. And, and he was wondering how you reconcile the expressive power of your voice, unique to you, with elements of your personality and your nature that seem to pull you into the shadows of the arrangements. I, I suppose it kind of, you know, really touches on that kind of, yeah, the push and pull that exists, you know, I definitely find myself a, um, a conflicting musician, um, the, you know, extrovert, introvert, I, I never really know where I sit. And I think music is a constant discovery of that. So it's sort of a place for, there's not really a clear answer. The music is a, is a way to it's essentially kind of uh, indulge in yourself and to kind of understand the who you are a bit better so I, I don't think i don't really have a clear answer it's sort of um uh, i find uh, the the constant duality there and i think finding again you sort of finding a piece in that place is i find really interesting because it is you'll always be conflicted when it comes to putting down music it's the sort of experimentation that goes on within there that yeah brings great joy playing music with other people has been more and more of, of a real sort of key feature of my life and making records and how you interact with other people and how you interact with yourself is, you know, basically, you know, how and why I make records, I suppose. Yeah. Thank you both so much for coming here and going through and digging into Is It. It's been fascinating to hear all about it. And thank you for all your time for this as well. Um, we should yes, uh, let you. you go and we'll play one more song. So like an outro track, another selection from the album that we haven't talked about or you know just so people can get another taste of of what it's all about what do you think you wish you go for maybe um richmond avenue and have the pipes play us out okay so this is richmond avenue mm. yeah thanks for having us a real pleasure thanks, ben. thanks a lot nathan thank you for listening and in particular thanks to all of you who have signed up to support us on patreon I'm just one part of the team that brings you Take Notes and it relies on your support. Access to Patreon includes the full-length videos of new episodes where possible, ad-free episodes and detailed gear lists, among many other things. If you'd like to join, head to the link on our socials or website. For pictures, highlight clips and behind-the-scenes content, head to our Instagram or YouTube channel. And on Discord, you can join the growing Take Notes community. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Walk in the park Sky's the limit oh. High lives in higher places When she could last forever You had your leather coat on and a pavement heat. I used to keep garden.